your people come first. And when you treat a business that way, and you treat your teams that way, you create a byproduct of, of loyalty and trust and consideration and empathy that is worth so much more, right? And, and not that there's a need to, to value it, because it's not the intent of, of that action, but it does create a, a culture of, of giving. Uh, and then they give their peers and their customers that same level of empathy and consideration that results in good business. Hey there, this is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to Lead the Team. Before we jump in, we just broke into the top 3% of all podcasts globally and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Lead the Team. I have Eric Dietz here for you today, who is the Chief Operating Officer over at Michelin Mobility Intelligence. And he also happens to be Chief Operating Officer at Roadbotics by Michelin. And yes, y'all, in case you were wondering, it is that Michelin, the massive global manufacturer, lots and lots of tires and some pretty darn good dining guides <laughs> in and of themselves there. And also, he's an interesting background as a small business entrepreneur turned corporate entrepreneur. And he's passionate about leveraging tech for good, safer and equitable mobility, and enjoys building international teams with diverse backgrounds and perspectives to leverage collective intelligence. He has a bachelor's degree from the University of California, Los Angeles, and an MBA from the Darla Moore School of Business at the University of South Carolina. Eric, welcome to Lead the Team, sir. Thank you so much, Ben, for having me. Very excited to be here today and and to discuss. Let's dig in. So how does coaching and mentoring an employee help them achieve their greatest success as well as help set up the team for their overall success? Absolutely. I think... Uh... One of the major focuses that Michelin has, which very much aligns with my own personal beliefs, is respect for people and empowerment. Mm -hmm. And I think when you focus as a, as a manager and as a leader less on the manager portion and much more on helping people be leaders themselves and coaching and growing them and pushing those decision-making opportunities further down the the chain so that they're getting made as close to the actions as possible. Mm -hmm. You're enabling that individual growth and the opportunities to have, I think, more efficient decisions that are more accurate to the topic at hand. Mm. Um, and I think it uh, provides confidence at an individual level that they can grow, that they can make these decisions. And I know that I've certainly benefited from that in my career rather than mm each time going up kind of the managerial chain and asking for the decision, having it asked back to me instead saying, you know, how would you handle this? Why would you handle it this way? 
Uh, what are the coaching and the different mm. questions that you should ask as you move through those situations? Yeah, it sounds like you're really stepping into that, bringing that entrepreneurial mindset into the business through that. Because, I mean, if it's your, if, if it's your business and it, it's much easier to make those, I mean, it's not always easy to make the decision, but you have to make the decision for the business. But as an entrepreneur, so you're working inside the business organization, it definitely is a bit of a mindset flip because the bigger decisions, oftentimes people think, well, they should be left to the people at the higher levels of the organization. But it sounds like you're a fan of pushing the, the decisions lower. Now, to me, that sounds great. And it does probably help people take more ownership, but also it probably comes with some inherent risk of people making the wrong decision along the way and then making bigger headaches for everyone. Uh, what's your advice to leaders who'd like to have more of this in their team or their business, but aren't quite comfortable making that move? I think it's a paradigm shift that can be challenging to, to overcome, but you're bringing up a good point, right? That, that fear, that risk, I think has to be, encapsulated in a culture that's okay with failure, knowing that it's going to be iterative in nature, that you're going to learn from your failures and you're going to be better next time. And mm -hmm. I think it's an opportunity for leaders to improve their communication so that they're being clear about the intent of what the business is trying to accomplish mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and making sure that, that communication is clear throughout the organization so that when people are making decisions at, at their level, they're making it with clarity of intent. And that reduces the risk, in, in my experience at least, of kind of these major mistakes. And yet, if there is one, it's a learning opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're not necessarily any more or less likely to make a mistake at varying levels in the organization than somebody else. For everyone, it's a learning opportunity. And to communicate that out and say, hey, guys, this is what we learned from this, I think is really beneficial not only to that individual to make them feel I would say more comfortable with that individual risk, but also as a learning opportunity for everyone else. So when's the time this, this came into play for your career? Oh, I think uh, nearly on a, on a weekly basis, my own manager who's located in France puts me on the, on the spot to make some of the decisions that I may think are within his kind of uh, domain that he typically will make. Mm -hmm. uh, and more and more he is saying, I, I will make less decisions myself and you will make more and more, which I appreciate that lack of uh, centralization and much more pushing the decisions out. Mm -hmm. I think currently with the company that we just acquired robotics here in Pittsburgh, we're getting a lot of questions from the team on how we are going to move forward. And for me, it's asking them, how should we be moving forward? You guys are the experts in your own business. Mm. Right? We're coming in and providing additional resources, but what has worked? What hasn't worked over the past years that you guys have been in business? Where do you need more resources? What were the things you learned, uh, you spent resources on and, and didn't pay off? Uh, so for me, it's, it's seeking that uh, intelligence that's inherent in the work that they've done because they know their own business much better than I do as I'm coming in and looking for certainly the synergies between our activities and how do they play a bigger part of the overall strategic roadmap. But a lot of these decisions, they're much more capable of, of making the right decision than I am. 
Yeah. And it's such a great point there because you're, you're leading by asking questions versus leading versus by telling people what to do. And when you're the acquiring company, I've, I've, I've worked for organizations where we were acquired and we were the acquiring company and I've seen it go both ways. And I feel like the success of what I've seen uh, from a long-term perspective is usually more in the domain of people really embracing their own expertise, but also acknowledging the expertise of others and asking for their input. And like you say, you're coming in, you have the Michelin guidance in this and, and that culture and environment, but it sounds like you're really a learning leader from that standpoint. You're really trying to to learn and gather the information from the bit from the smaller business and uh, make sure you're harnessing their knowledge. So I think that's a that's a powerful move. I think, um, again, there's a reason that we acquired this company, right? Mm -hmm. You typically don't acquire a company uh, that you don't value the work that they've been doing and the people who have created mm -hmm. that work. So yeah. I, I would think it would uh, be a mistake for me to say, I value this company. I want to acquire them and bring them into my portfolio because of what they've created in the market and then immediately come in and tell them how they actually should mm -hmm. be doing things. Mm -hmm. Now, certainly there's aspects of, of business that Michelin has developed over its 130 years that we can bring to and augment and accelerate aspects of their business. Mm -hmm. But they've done some really good work that we can learn from as well. And that is a benefit to Michelin Group. Uh, otherwise, I don't think you would have you've seen us acquiring them. So what is your favorite way to coach and mentor others? Uh, so I think it really begins with establishing trust, right? Uh, and, and I think it's something that we see less and less of in teams and in organizations these days as people move through roles and companies very quickly. For me, it's a baseline. You have to be able to trust what I'm saying to you and trust that I have your best interest in heart and that I'm going to advocate and work with you to improve your own career as well as the organization and try to create as many win-win situations as possible. But I think having those conversations with open, candid conversation uh, where you can feel comfortable bringing up the, the hard moments as well as the mm -hmm. good and asking what would have been a better way to approach this or why was this so good this time? But in another instance, it mm -hmm. went a completely different manner. I think juxtaposing different types of scenarios and events and having those honest conversations, making sure that you're actively listening. You know, I mean, I can't tell you how many uh, times I've been in rooms where whether it's a meeting or it's a one-on-one, -on -one, but not everyone is really present. Not everyone is actively listening. They're answering emails at the same time. They're on their phone at the oh, same time. Oh, that never happens. I know. Especially in a remote environment. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, you probably see that all the time. Yeah. But I think just being being present, making that eye contact, making sure they you believe what you're saying mm -hmm. and that they believe you, right? And establishing that trust leads to a relationship where you can coach and mentor appropriately because they respect you, right? They respect the relationship and they respect your time. Um, and likewise, you should respect their time, right? Regardless of which way the relationship is going. I think mutual respect, trust is, is fundamental to that. 
What's the worst leadership advice that you've heard? Ooh. At least recently. <laughs> I, uh, I think it's um, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. Mm, you, okay. Tell me more. Uh, I think it's a, it is meant to be a performance saying like, I want you to think about it and come to me with the solution. I don't want to hear the problems, but I think what it actually ends up creating is really bad habits and unrealistic expectations. And in some cases, integrity violations, because people are so concerned about asking for help and bringing a problem to not only their peers, but to their manager, that they end up doing whatever it takes. And sometimes uh, it's really the wrong thing to achieve a quote unquote solution. And I would much rather, you know, say, bring me the problems, you know, bring the team the problem and let's solve it together, right? If mm, there's something okay. that you're struggling with, yeah. let's address it together. Uh, certainly my preference is obviously pushing the decisions closer to where the action is happening. But if you're challenged with something and you don't know how to resolve it, let's discuss it because there's probably others in the group who also wouldn't know, maybe myself included. And it's a great opportunity, again, for that shared learning and, and to leverage that collective intelligence. Man, I love that. Because I'm a fan of solutions, of course, as a lot of leaders are, but I mean, it makes a big difference when you think about, you don't want to surprise your leader and say, I've been struggling with this and I've been working on this for weeks. And then the problem gets so big, it's, it could have been tackled when it was smaller or you're not harnessing the benefit of working in a company. When you're, we have a small business, a lot of times you are, you have to come up with a solution, but part of the benefit of working with a global company like Michelin is having a bunch of great leaders and great minds to rely on and figure out a way to engage them. Yeah. And I think especially when you're working across international teams, right? The way that I may approach it sitting in the U.S. may not be the same way that one of my colleagues in France or in India or in somewhere else in Asia might approach it. They may have experienced a similar challenge and navigated it very successfully after trial and error that we could benefit from. And simply by asking the question, uh, we may be able to leverage that. Or asking it now, maybe they've not dealt with it, but in six months it comes up and they say, you know what, we talked about this six months ago. Now we know how to address it. And I think that is super yeah. important as part of a communication plan in an international team uh, to be bringing up those so you have the opportunity to share some of the best practices. So before we get to too far. I want to make sure it's kind of been a little bit of a step back, but I want to hear about the about mobility intelligence. So tires seems more old school, right? Or people think about 130 years. Yes, Michelin's innovated, but it's it's sounding mobility intelligence starts to conjure up ideas of. I don't know artificial intelligence. I don't know what I don't how I don't know how you're thinking about this, but maybe shed a little light on the mobility intelligence piece of this and, and also road biotics or road road robotics, not biotics. Robotics. Yeah. No, no, my, my pleasure, Ben. So yes, Michelin's core activity is definitely around tires. Uh, but globally we view ourselves as a mobility company. Uh, so mm -hmm. we segment our business around with tires, around tires, and beyond tires. Uh, 
And when we look at Michelin mobility intelligence, we're really the activity within group Michelin that is responsible uh, for new data business models, right? Companies that are SaaS based that are very involved in artificial intelligence and machine learning um, in acquiring new capabilities. Uh, so Robotics is a, a machine vision company that, you know, computer vision company that we're leveraging to understand the condition of the roads that we drive on. Mm -hmm. And within the portfolio of our offers within mobility intelligence, we're leveraging telematics data and driving behavior data to understand where safety issues are on our infrastructure. So nothing at all to mm -hmm. do with tires. We're not receiving that data from tires. Uh, it's a totally separate activity from, from our core portion of the business. Well, wow. uh, but we're seeking to understand how do we make mobility more efficient, make it safer, make it more equitable. And that's a mission that is consistent with Michelin's, Michelin, Michelin's mission uh, since the beginning is, is wanting to improve these things uh, is, is very core to our ethos. Mm -hmm. And so I think the way that this is looking within our activity is leveraging different types of I would say ingredients, right? When we think uh, telematics data, weather data, infrastructure-related data, supply chain data, um, satellite data to understand what is happening in our infrastructure, not only here in North America, but globally. Right? so this particular activity is primarily based in Europe and North America. And we're looking at how do we improve these areas? Because at the moment, the amount of crashes and fatalities on our roads, both in Europe and North America, are increasing year over year, even as at the moment, people are traveling on our roads less, especially mm -hmm. since COVID and remote mm -hmm. work. So the trend is actually going in the wrong direction. And Michelin Jeez. developed a, a really, yeah, Michelin developed a really interesting uh, expertise on, on driving behavior as a result of constantly trying to improve the safety of our tires. So we were always looking at how are people driving uh, and how do we make tires that are forgiving when people do the wrong thing or act in a way that is atypical. And so we were studying driving behavior. And at the same time, we realized that our expertise in that space could be leveraged beyond just making tires that government agencies like departments of transportation and civil engineering mm -hmm. firms who have the same goal of making our infrastructure safer and more forgiving could benefit from our expertise in this area. So as we analyze driving behavior and, and we own several fleet telematics companies worldwide, and we have some data partnerships uh, with companies like Allstate Group, and we're leveraging huge amounts of data in North America, around 45 or 50 million drivers in North America that we receive uh, telematics data from. And again, all uh, GDPR compliant, you know, there's no privacy or personal info in there. And we're looking at it in aggregate and running it through our algorithms to understand where are the safety issues, right? Where do we need to address infrastructure to improve it so that less lives are lost on our roads? And how do we make sure that we're doing it in an equitable manner because safety concerns when you, when you look nationwide, the worst safety on our roads is in lower socioeconomic areas. And those mm -hmm. are people in areas that typically have less of a voice. The interesting thing about data is you can look at how representative it is, right? We can look nationwide wow. and say, 
you know, we have coverage and penetration in every neighborhood nationwide, and we can look exactly at, at what our penetration is in, in those neighborhoods, and we can look at those safety concerns um, so that it is being, I would say, more objective, right? I mean, anytime you're building a model, there's going to be some subjectivity into how you create the model, but the goal is to make mobility safer for all and make sure that is an equitable lens across that is amazing. I, I, I've never really thought about th that perspective. That's cool that Michelin is, is doubling down on that. And I didn't think about the equity piece, but that makes a lot of sense. And I thought it was also interesting that you said, hey, even though driving has gone down during the pandemic, accidents, fatalities on the roads are up. So there's obviously a problem there. Is there, have you found one nugget that you're like, this is this is one of the big reasons why that's happened? Or is that still... Under under review at this point, people just forgot how to drive safely. Uh, I think it's a combination of a lot of factors, which certainly include uh, changes in speeding, right, and and people making choices about how they spend their money when they when they get tight on their money. Do they do the maintenance on their vehicle or do they not? Right, uh, and yeah, and, and you start getting to some of these things. Um, well, but certainly there's been more reckless driving, higher speeding on, on roads. And it's, uh, a lot of that is, is leading, unfortunately, to, to fatalities that mm -hmm. we absolutely mm -hmm. want to, uh, work against. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. So when you come into your group, I mean, a lot of leaders are like, man, I want to, because you know, we, I, I talk a lot about in, in the leadership training that I do about you're not, you're not leading unless you have a vision or you're leading your group towards a vision. Otherwise you're just kind of managing them. It seems like there's a big vision here for you and your team. I mean, this is beyond tires at this point. I'm nothing wrong with tires. We need them, but. You're talking about safety. You're talking about equity. Um, when you talk to your team about the bigger vision um, of what you're up to, how, how do you describe it to them? So I'm fortunate enough that uh, I get to point to some very smart people in, in Europe who came up with what's called Vision Zero. And it's the ideal, the polar star that we have the obligation to the people who drive on our roads to achieve a state where zero lives are lost on the roads. And so the core mission of our activity is vision mm -hmm. zero. And wow. I think what's interesting about that is it's a mission that is shared across public and private entities, but also throughout an ecosystem of, of firms and actors, NGOs who are all aimed at the same polar star. And I just finished coming back from a, a conference in LA that was really focused on this. And I was sitting on a panel where, you know, variety of, of different entities from state agencies to other, you know, engineering firms and data aggregators, et cetera. And the interesting thing is, even though at times we'll compete for some of the same dollars, it is an ecosystem where we're all trying to achieve the same thing so if somebody can truly do something better than you, 
how do you partner with them and bring value to them so that we achieve the same end goal rather than just, I want to displace you in the market. It's yeah, how I do want we to bring, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. for me, it's, uh, it's cool. not about beating. It's about how do we serve you know, the greatest public good with the data and the expertise that we have, which I think is again, a, a bit of a paradigm shift because most people think about tech and they, they think about the negative ways that it's been used and the, the privacy concerns and the breaches of trust, the breaches of that, that stewardship. And for me, uh, you know, you said it earlier, I'm very focused on tech for good because too often we don't hear about the good use cases. And there is this skepticism that people have around tech and data, but it's ability to do good things for people when used appropriately mm-hmm. uh, is, and is amazing. And, and that's, yeah. that I would say is our, our core mission. So thinking about vision, thinking about inspiration, what's your biggest source of inspiration and when's the difficult time that it got you through? Hmm. So I think I have a, a mentor that I've known since I was 18, um, very intelligent, uh, started off in investment banking and, and Wall Street and went into consulting. And in his early 30s, he was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Um, and he had three children at the time. Uh, so he stepped back from his work and it's quite a rare form of, of stomach cancer. And his ability to manage and reprioritize truly what was important in his life and reframe his own context and yet still be successful at being a father at being a husband and right sizing his career aspirations to what was going to be at this point, we know uh, decades of, of fighting this cancer but still finding a way to deliver value into the market. So he still consults, even though, you know, he's, mm. uh, undergoes treatments on nearly a biweekly basis. Um, and watching the grace and strength that he was able to go through that was super impactful when my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. Uh, and, and remembering that, the most important aspects of how you interact with your colleagues is that they are people, right? People do business with people and the human elements there. I was so grateful that Michelin treated me as a human when my wife was diagnosed rather than just an employee. And they were there for me and they supported me. And in turn, it's given me the perspective of being able to do the same thing. Uh, I have an employee who's gone through some health issues with his family recently. And, and those experiences of understanding that there are some things that come before the business, right? That your people come first. And when you treat a business that way and you treat your teams that way, you create a byproduct of, of loyalty and trust and consideration and empathy that is worth so much more. Right. And, and not that there's a need to to value it because it's not the intent of, of that action, but it does create a, a culture of of giving uh, and then they give their peers and their customers that same level of empathy and consideration 
that results in good business. Uh, and I think for me, it, it really began looking at my, my mentor and how he chose to handle some of those situations in the, you know, over the last couple of decades, our conversations of, of how do we continue managing these things have been very inspiring for me. Mm. Yeah, I can hear that. And Eric, thanks for sharing that personal story with us. I, mean, I love it on the show when we get that perspective because it just humanizes you as a leader. It helps us remember that you know, there's this leadership armor a lot of executives wear, and sometimes you have to because there are hard decisions that need to be made, but that at the root of it, it's the people that make all the difference. And I mean, man, your story is is so inspiring there. One of perseverance and reminding us that we are leading people, not just a company. Absolutely. Man. Man. Yeah. That's a that's a beautiful story. And I like the way they talk about the ripple effect. So your mentor started this within you. And then you had a very personal experience with your wife. And then you, you've had it with team members and employees where you need to remember how to prioritize this whole thing. And it does lead to trust and loyalty. Um, you know, for sure. And for leaders out there, especially newer leaders, if you haven't had this experience yet, you probably will. Right, you're you're going to need to be really flexible at some point, or ask for flexibility. And uh, I hope that y'all remember this. I mean, Eric, great, great, uh, great guidance there for all of us on that. Thank you. Um, so let's see here, man. I got a lot of questions. I don't have a lot of time to <laughs> a lot of time. So, uh, when's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career, and how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road? So I think failures are always interesting to look at. And, and for me, I always try and reposition them as opportunities for future success. Um, I think for me, the one that stands out, I would say most recently is when I joined Michelin in, in 2019, I was coming uh, to them as an entrepreneur from Southern California, was very accustomed to selling my capabilities to people, right? As we were moving through a startup environment, constantly the elevator pitch and like, this is what I can do. Uh, and I'm going to show you later. Mm -hmm. And I think Michelin's culture is one of humility and they value actions over words. Uh, and they didn't need me to say what I could do or what I had done. But in fact, they needed me to just be there, earn the trust of the teams and, and do the work, right? Walk rather than, mm. than talk. And I think yeah, early take on. Take a breath. You can stop selling for a minute for the business and, and just get this stuff done. huh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that was a, a culture shift for me and I didn't do very well in the beginning. I didn't understand Really, I didn't have the self-awareness in this new environment uh, that I really needed. And so it was through feedback. Uh, and and uh, one of my HR people told me, you know, feedback is a gift. And I absolutely <laughs> agree with that. Uh, so they, were, because, they remind you of that? You're like, uh-oh, what do you have for me? <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. But, uh, but I really appreciated it because... You know, I think the important thing about feedback is whether you agree with it or not. And in this case, I, I did, but it, mm -hmm. it's the reality of people's perspective 
And if you're going to work alongside these people, you need to understand their perspective and you need to work with them on that. And I think the perspective of me at the time was as someone who was not a team player, as somebody who was about me, 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 and, and look what I can do and look what I've done, rather than taking the time to ask the questions. So I think we started this conversation talking about my current leadership style and the way that I ask questions, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. rather than talking about what I've done and how I've done it in the past. Uh, and I think this was part of that pivotal shift there is getting that feedback within, yes, a much larger organization and, and culture, um, but understanding that asking why and asking the questions through leadership as opposed to stating what you maybe have done or haven't done, et cetera, gets you a lot further. Uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's a great leadership skill to be able to navigate that and grow from it. And this idea of speaking and telling people what you've done is certainly great from a sometimes well sometimes good from a visibility standpoint. But maybe as a leader, you aren't always learning when you, you have to catch myself too because I'm I'm running a small business and you've been in this boat too, and it, it can be trying to separate yourself sometimes in that way. But especially when you're leading your own team, it's a different approach. It's a mm -hmm. different approach. So what are a few success strategies that all employees need to understand? Although you just gave us a great one. Um, so I think working within a startup environment and even the you know, internal entrepreneur climate uh, I think what we learn is we're often wrong, but I think that's okay. So not every strategy is going to work, uh, but you got to move forward as if it's going to until you get new information right. and, uh, and committing to something once you make the decision, knowing that at some point you're going to do a debrief, you're going to go back and you're going to, you're going to do a postmortem on that and say, do we need to shift? Right. I think, Assumptions are always required to move forward, but those assumptions are only as good as the day on which you made them. And tomorrow they're going to be wrong. And it's okay if they're wrong because you're going to yeah. make new and better assumptions when you look back, because hopefully you're a little bit smarter, you know, a little bit more. Um, and I think it's, it's okay to be wrong and admit that when you've received new information and new data. And it's okay to change your decision, even something that you were very staunch on at one point, if you've received data or information that tells you, you, you need to change, right? Do you, uh, it was wrong. You, maybe it was the best decision at the time, but I think not, not falling victim to that feeling of sunk costs. Well, I've, I've stood on this hill. I'm going to die on this hill. And instead saying, you know what, mm. I've, I've, I'm going to step off this and say, I was wrong. We understood things differently or we had limited data at the time. Now we're smarter than we were. We know more than we did. And we're making a different decision so as not to waste our time or the company's resources, but also to be, again, agile enough in the market and our strategy and our decision making that we're not getting lost in the times. Yeah. Such a good point there. Great advice, probably that could have been taken by the tobacco industry years ago. <laughs> like we need to pivot based on the data. But I, I think, you know, to your point before that, leader declares the vision, 
And you want people committed to that and then getting the team all in on that. And some, some, some leaders wait on declaring the vision because they don't have perfect data or they're not totally sure. Then they wait and they wait and they wait and the team's just kind of running around. But then understanding as a leader, you can declare the vision today. Then if you have different data tomorrow, you can make that change. That's what you get to do. Of course, you're going to have to explain it away, hopefully with good data on why you're making that change. But uh, great advice to get commitment, go full bore, but do so with the confidence that if you've got different data, my goodness, you know, let's let's take action on it. And you know a thing or two about the data. That's the hope. That's the hope, yeah. <laughs> and again, it comes back to sharing that, that clarity of intent and communication. If you're making a strategy based on what you have today and those assumptions, I communicate those out to my team, right, in our organization. And I communicate it upwards as well when I'm making recommendations. I say, look, this is what we know today. Based on that, we're making these decisions. We're going to review this in a month, six months, a year, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have some learnings. And that may change some of these. And we may, uh, we may be wrong on some of them. Uh, we certainly will be wrong. W- which way we're wrong, <laughs> kind of positive or negative. Did we overshoot? Mm-hmm. Did we undershoot? Did we, you know, we don't know yet, but, but I think having that culture that is around growth and views failure as a growth opportunity rather mm-hmm. as a, you know, more of a performance culture that is based on, Hey, if you failed, like you failed for me, a, a growth culture is much more failure is part of growth. That's how it's one of the ways that we learn. And it mm-hmm. creates a, a culture where people are willing to swing for the fences and they're willing to try, they're nice. willing to ask for help. And those are the things that I want to feel comfortable doing. And mm-hmm. I want my teams and the people around me to feel comfortable the same way. What's a time when you swung for the fences and it paid off? So I think this current activity that I'm in didn't exist a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, internally Michelin has, some um, some hypotheses, some assumptions that there was a market here. Uh, and we were doing a study looking at, does it make sense to start investing in this area, both internally, uh, with internal resources, but also acquiring company. And I think what we're sitting here saying today is it's absolutely paying off. We're getting the market traction. We're accurate to the needs and pain points of public and private sector. Uh, And now in a year, we'll come back and say, were our assumptions around how valuable we were in the market accurate, right? Uh, Did we solve it as effectively as we thought that we could, or do we need to adjust? Um, But I think it's something that was a big swing for Michelin moving into this space, uh, again, far from tires and high-tech materials and some of these other areas, mm-hmm. but truly into mobility, intelligence, and data-only type offers, uh, which is a bit new for Michelin, Wow! but yeah. but is based on an expertise that is very foundational. So I think I that's, a, that's a... What a cool story, taking a 130-year-old company and doing something new and cool and innovative and leveraging some of the best parts of the company in, in a new space. Oh, it's a it's a team effort, right? Uh, both my teams here in North America, as well as my my peers and my teams in other regions. Again, it's uh, would be impossible without 
everybody who's involved in this activity and the, the different leaders throughout the company who's, who believed in us and who've given us that opportunity and continue to invest, you know, they, they see the vision, they see the opportunity. Uh, and it really is a all hands on deck situation as cliche as that is to make it happen. Um, so excited to be part of it. What's a tool or gadget that's contributed to your success that listeners could go out and purchase and you're, pr- and you can say a tire if, uh, <laughs> There's a tire related one. So you know what? It's um, a tool or gadget. I'm going to say a digital tool. So okay. something that I'm nearly obsessive about is uh, using Mint, which is like a personal finance oh, uh-huh. app. Uh, and I treat it like I do my business, right? Okay. The different businesses that I look at, I want to see what the trends are month over month, spending and income and where do I optimize stuff? And having that as part of my personal life as well makes me that much better at my job when I'm managing mm. kind of a portfolio of companies and, and looking at that. And it's, it's a way to continue exercising those muscles, uh, but at a personal level. Now, I don't know if my wife loves it quite as much because I can be quite uh, quite detailed on it. You're looking at the data. I'm looking at the data. <laughs> I like the data, right? It's, it's very it's factual going to up. So do you, so I'm, I'm a Mint user too, actually for, for years. Uh, how have you been using it for a while? Yeah. You, do you, um, so there's, and so for the listeners, there's an, it basically can link your account safely to this investments, spending, and it tracks a lot of this kind of like you would on a, a P and L sheet or something on those lines. How act, how much time do you spend sort of classifying credit card expenses and stuff like that versus budget? Are you are you looking at those pretty closely? Are you look are you looking at from more from an investment standpoint? Yeah, uh, so across the board, I, yeah. I optimize around each feature that they've introduced over the years. I will spend time optimizing around. So I probably spend half an hour a day, maybe going from everything is, uh, what are the expenses? How's that trending month over month, year over year yeah. on the investment side? You know, which areas are growing? How am I mitigating some of the risk in the market that we've mm-hmm. seen mm-hmm. recently? Uh, different types of debt strategy that are in there and looking at, at all of those. So, I mean, I, I take a pretty comprehensive uh, view of that, but it's a very simple it's a very simple tool. And again, it's not nearly as advanced as, as some of the other tools I look at when I'm really diving deep into, into something. But, you know, from looking at it on my cell phone, you know, throughout the day, uh, I really enjoy that. Okay, great. Well, great tool for the, I mean, that ties in perfectly with this. Although, you know, we, I, what I'll, one of the things, and we'll wrap up here, but I, a couple of things I really liked about this. One, we kind of talked about trust and leadership and vision. And then we, as we went down, we learned more about Michelin and some of the cool mobility stuff and sort of the noble cause of your group. And then we got really personal about the humanizing side of, uh, of your leadership perspective and some of your inspiration along the way. And then getting into some success strategies uh, and, then, and then a personal challenge that you faced when you came in from the entrepreneurial world. I mean, what a fun fun career path and episode uh that we have today so um eric what's your what's your parting thought for our listeners here 
I think, again, it, it has to come back to the people. And especially in today's environment, everything that's been going on these last couple of years, I think it's just remembering that behind that email, behind that Zoom call, that uh, business meeting is another human who's dealing with who knows what. Uh, and remembering that as you you work with them, because again, we're we're all trying to create value, mm-hmm. right? We're all trying to achieve something, and and remembering that people do business with people, and there's a human element there that if you can get in touch with, you can find the win-win solutions. Uh, you can find the most efficient way to deal with some of these things. Uh, you can improve that communication. I think to me that is that is nearly always my message is. It's, it's people that make it happen. Hi, right, everybody. Recognize that. Remember it. It's the people. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate you having me on the show. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.